Awesome. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Clayton, and I'm the senior pastor here at Central, and I'm glad you guys are with us today. If you're online, um, thanks for watching um, with us and being a part of uh, what God is doing here at Central. I want to make sure you guys have a chance to get the sermon notes, so the QR codes right there. Uh, they'll be up on the screen for a little while as we get started, so you can, you can make sure um, you have the notes um, as we move forward. Well, hey, a couple of days ago, I don't know if you caught this, but it was Friday the 13th. Anybody ever... Like realize that, and so around our house, what do we do? Well, we've got to watch a horror movie, and so that's just kind of the thing that that my family does. It's not very pastoral, but hey, it's okay. And so we watched the uh, we had the the football game, and after the football game, our uh, our two teenagers um, they brought some friends with them, and all of a sudden, our house there was like eight teenagers in our living room, and uh, with Holly and I, and we're watching this movie called what what is it called? Um, as Above, So Below, or something like that. Corbin, thank you. And so it's this, this older uh, horror movie, and they're, it's set in, in France, in Paris, and they're, this, this group is trying to, to find this treasure underground in the catacombs around uh, underneath Paris. And there's you know, hundreds of miles of catacombs, and there's, there's all the skeletons down there and all that kind of stuff. And the movie's shot in first person with, with uh, you know camera on the on the, the on their their helmet with the, the light and they're running around and they're in these little tiny little caves uh, these these long corridors and they can only see a little bit and it's complete darkness you know around them and no one's been down there for 500 years or whatever right and it's just man that scares me I, I don't know about you but but the the idea of being down there like that and and not knowing what is in front of you because you you can't see it. It just, it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Am I alone or does anybody get scared of the dark like that? Like, like being down somewhere like that or not knowing what's, what's around the corner. And it was just, they were being chased and it was just, it was crazy. Um, a lot of jump scares and it was, it was a fun time at our house. But I was thinking about that. Why are we so scared of the dark? Why are we scared of the dark? Okay, you can't see it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's ingrained in us when we were little. I mean, when I was little, my parents made me take out the trash all the time. And it, we had a, an alley behind our house that's just pitch black with a big dumpster, you know. And so I had to walk the, 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 the trash out, and I'm doing the brave thing. And I'm like, I got this. And, you know, I go through the gate, and I enter no man's land out in the, the alley. And I go up to the dumpster, and you have to open up the dumpster, and it's lousy. And just this, this like this bottomless pit that you got to throw the, the trash in. I don't know what's if someone's in there, and my mind is playing tricks on me. I don't know what's around the dumpster, and I do the brave thing. I throw it in there, and I, I turn to go the other way. And when you're walking away from darkness, no one like just takes it easy, do you? Like you start to walk, and then you walk a little faster. Before they get to the back door, like you're sprinting, like I did this, you know. But why why are we scared of the dark like that? I think it's because that darkness equals evil, or it equals sin. It equals things that we don't want to, to mess with. That's what the Bible actually talks about, darkness. It personifies um, evil with, with, with darkness and living in sin um, with, with darkness. And we may be scared of it, but the truth is, is that we live in it. We live in that all the time. It's all around us, and sometimes it's kind of enticing. Back then, it was enticing. Look what John, John says in John chapter 3. A little couple verses after John 3.16, he actually says this. He says, people love the darkness more than the light. I, I didn't like being in the darkness like that, but, but evidently we do. We, we love the darkness more than the light sometimes. But their actions were evil. 
And all who do evil hate the light, and re- they refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. I mean, does that, is that not a great commentary of our lives? That we, if we were honest with ourselves, sometimes we love the darkness. Because I don't want people to know my business. Honestly, I don't want God to know my business. We try to hide from the light, from the truth, and we try to stay in the dark. We try to stay in the shadows. And that's what was happening back then, and it's happening today. People haven't changed. And so this is kind of what people say today. Hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with the darkness. It's fine. It's no big deal. I mean, you have your truth, and you have your way of life, and I got my way of life, and let's just all just, you know, just decide to just, just get along. Let me live the way I want to live. Well, this is actually where John found himself. Back in the first century, the world had, this is a bad way of saying it, the, the world had gone to the dark side, okay? His, in his culture, people had decided, we're just going to go to the, to the dark side. And John was willing to, to step into that situation. And with everything he had, he tried to persuade people to not live in the darkness, but to follow and turn to Jesus, and last week we started this, this idea, this sermon series of putting Christianity on trial. And this idea of up here on the stage, this is a courtroom, and John, he wheeled his old self up on the, onto the stage yesterday, got um, in, in, the, in the, the box, uh, the witness box, and he gave a great defense for the validity of Jesus being really who Jesus um, says he, he was. He said, hey, this, there's evidence he, he, what he did is he kind of showed the receipts. Like, why do we have receipts? Like, here's a, here's a bundle of receipts I found um, in my car um, the other day. We have receipts because it's evidence that that actually happened, right? That that, 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 um, that transaction happened. And this is kind of what John did. John, last week, said, hey, you may not believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, but I've got the receipts. Let me show you. I was actually there. And it wasn't just me, but there was 500 other people that got to see him do all the things that he did and say all the things um, that he said. This is actually true. And he said, hey, here are, here are the, the receipts. And he proved that the gospel stories were accurate. Well, now we're in week two of our trial. It's going to be a long trial. It's going to be about four weeks long, okay? So we're in week two of the trial, and the world is going to come back on the offensive. And the world is going to, to give this compelling argument that, that was happening back then, and I would say it's happening today, and it's this. Fine, you can believe in Jesus all you want, but you can't prove that God exists. You can't prove that God exists. In fact, this is kind of what the world says, that this this whole God thing that you believe in, it's garbage. They kind of take these receipts and they just toss them and say, you know what, you can, you can have all that, whatever you want, but you can't prove to me that God exists. Now, that may be kind of a in-your-face kind of statement, but as Christians, we've got to be okay with that. If you're a Christian in this room, you've got to be okay with people saying those kind of things. The real question is, how do you respond to that? We live in a culture that doesn't say anymore that, hey, you know, God is, God is real, and this is just kind of the the natural thing that everybody believes. We actually live in a culture that says, no, 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 God doesn't exist. You can't even prove that at all. And so John was living in the same kind of culture. And in 1 John, the the book that we're going to be in, this is his defense of that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to to 1 John um, chapter 1. We started in verses 1 through 4 last week, and we're just going to be in verse 5 this week. Here's what 
John says in defense of that. He says that this is the message that we have heard from Jesus. The guy that we just proved was Israel and did what he said he, he did. The Bible says he did. And he, the things he said were true and that he really rose from the grave. He says, this is the message that we have heard from Jesus and we're going to declare it to you as well. This is the message. God is light. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Now we all know the difference between light and dark. And John is saying God is light. What he's saying is that he is perfectly and completely light without any shadow or just any sliver of darkness in him. So what does light actually represent? We talked about what darkness represents, but what is in the Bible when it says God is light? It means he's like walking around bright and shiny. What, is it, what does it mean that God is light? Well, what it's saying is that in the Bible, it's talking about goodness. God is, he is perfectly good. And he has defined the difference between right and between wrong. And so when someone claims that, that God doesn't exist, John is arguing and saying, no, 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 God does exist. And there's actually evidence that he exists. There's evidence all around us. And the evidence is God's light in the world. His goodness and his moral code that is all around us. I don't know if you've ever been to, to the Alamo in San Antonio, but in the 1830s, obviously there's a big battle. Everybody knows about what happened in the, in the Alamo. But there was this uh, commander, and uh, it was Colonel Travis, famous dude. And uh, he knew that it was going bad. He knew they were probably going to, they were all going to die. And so he got all of his troops in, in front of the Alamo. And there's actually, you can go and see it today. And uh, this, is the, this is the front of the Alamo picture of people going in. Um, but right down here, there's a little plaque, and there's this line right there. And you're like, what is that? What he did is he actually got all of his troops together right there, took out his sword, and he drew a line in the sand. And he said, hey, all right, guys, if you're willing to sacrifice yourself for freedom's cause, I want you to step across that line and join me. And all these men, one by one, stepped across the line saying, you know what? I'm making that choice to go from one position to another position. That's pretty awesome. But I'd say this, the, the greatest line that has ever been drawn in history was not drawn with a sword, it was drawn with light. That's what John is saying. That God, he drew a line with his light. Let me, let me illustrate this. It was, it was like this, like God, he took out his light and he said, I'm gonna draw a line. Okay, And on this side of the line is goodness. It's the moral code. It's morality. It's right. And on the other side of the line is darkness, and it is sin, and it is evil, and it is wrong. God separated those two things and said, I am drawing that standard. And John is making this, this argument. There's this, there's this moral argument for the existence of God. Think about this. Wanting God to exist doesn't, isn't proof that he exists, you know? Even thinking he exists isn't proof that he exists. What John is saying, he's saying, no, there is logical proof that God exists. 
And that proof is this perfect standard that God has, has made by which everything else is measured. And it's this line of light. I mean, think about this. Like, the other day, um, Holly and I were, were taking the kids to, uh, to go on vacation after church today. And so I did the, the, the dad thing, the husband thing yesterday. I, I opened up the hood of, of Holly's car, getting it all ready, you know, and I'm checking all the you know, checking the air in the tires and, and uh, checking all the, the fluids. And, and uh, you've got your, you know, you got your coolant, you got your brake fluid, you got your blinker fluid, and you got your, no, kidding, you got your blinker fluid, you got your washer fluid, you got all, all the different, you know, power steering fluid. And I'm going there, I'm looking. How do you measure if the fluid is right? Do you stick your finger in there and taste it? No, that would be bad. Like, you don't do that. What do you do? Whether it's a, a dipstick or the reservoir, you're looking for that line, right? And you're like, am I, am I low or am I high? I mean, you want to get to that line. And the manual says that's where you, you need to be. That is the standard. That's a great example of, of God. And he's saying, hey, there's this standard that I have created in this world. Whether you believe in me or not, there's this standard for which I'm calling you to live. It's the difference between right and wrong. Let's take this, now let's take this logic like one step further. I don't know if you heard this, but there's this, there's this moral argument for the existence of God. If you're like, hey, you know, I'm a rational person. I want to, I want to understand if God really does exist. Let me, let me think deeply about this. There's this moral argument. Here's how the moral argument goes. It's like an if-then kind of statement. It's this. If, if God doesn't exist, then a moral standard does not exist. So think about this. If there is... If there is no moral standard in this world, like we are not spiritual beings and, you know, we're just animals just trying to get by. And so there's really no, at the end of the day, there's no like single moral thing that we're supposed to, to live by. You just have your truth and I'll have my truth and one culture believes this one thing and another culture believes another thing. If, if you believe that, that it's all just wishy-washy, then the reality is, is there, there's no one thing that has created a moral standard. So it's, that's what it's saying. Well, if God doesn't exist, if you don't believe God exists, then you know what? There's nothing out there that can create a moral standard by which you can choose what is right and wrong. If God doesn't exist, then a moral standard does not exist. But there is a moral standard. You know it. I know it. There is a moral standard out there. And if that is true, then God exists. Just kind of if then statement's a great argument for the existence of God. And what it's saying is that, that all people recognize some moral code in our lives. And we appeal to this all the time, this, this sense of right and wrong. Think about it. Parents in this room, when you're raising your kids, how do you determine what you say for them is right and wrong? Where did that come from? Are you just making it up? No, it's, it's coming from this moral standard that you have. Don't do this. Do this. Treat people this way. Don't treat people that way. We have a standard by which we are erasing our kids. We also have a standard by which we, we live in this society. I mean, the other day I got pulled over uh, driving home. I got pulled over and I was like, oh, man. It was really close to the church, by the way, guys. And so I get pulled over and uh, I'm just sitting there and officer comes up. He was a super nice guy and he says, you know what you're doing? And I was like, oh, yeah. I was speeding. <laughs> and and uh, that's just the, the truth. There's this this speed limit, and I had 
exceeded it. Now, he gave me a warning, thank goodness, like, yes. And so I just, like, peeled off and just took off. Not into that at all. I didn't do that. <laughs> and I was, just, I was real careful, just real slow, you know, both, both hands. And, but, but there was this standard that I'd, I'd crossed that line, right? It's this standard by which we live. I mean, think about this. If someone is just ticking you off and you got a hot cup of coffee in your hand, why do you not just throw it in their face? You might want to. <laughs> there might be a little part of you, you're like, oh, I should do this and teach them a lesson. But you don't because there's this moral standard. And we're appealing to that higher standard all the time. It's a standard that's higher than our own. It's, and I would say it's bigger than just the laws that we uh, live by in this culture. It's, it's bigger than, than our, our cultural laws or our, our society's laws. Where did this moral code come from? Well, the logical conclusion is that if that code exists, then there's someone that wrote that code. There's someone, there's a, they, there's a code writer. And the Bible says that whether you believe in God or not, that code has been written in your life. You don't believe me? Look what Romans chapter 2 says. Romans 2, Romans 2 says this, that even Gentiles who do not have God's written law, they didn't have the Old Testament, they show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. I mean, what it's saying, you guys give it that saying, it's saying that God's written in everybody's heart this moral code. It's written in us, and it's our, it's our conscience. A great thing to remember today is this, that, that we all have a moral code written in us. Have you ever taken apart a, a flat screen TV? <laughs> no? Well, I did the other day because it wasn't working. I'm trying to figure out, we won't turn on, and we just try all this different stuff. And, you know, the first thing you need to do, by the way, is just change out the batteries in your remote. Okay, that's just a little word of advice. Tried that, and that didn't work either. We're like, what is going on? So took the TV down, um, put it down on, the, on its front, and unscrewed the back of the, the TV. Took the, the, the cover off. And it's pretty amazing what's behind there. It's, it's not just a screen, like the back side of a screen. It's got all of these, these circuits and these circuit boards everywhere. And they got all these little doodads and stuff. I don't even know what they're called. That, was, that sound terrible. But, but, like, there's all this stuff. I have no idea how it works. But I took this one circuit board off to try to figure out what was going on. And it was burnt and realized, oh, it's, it's a messed up circuit board. And what's cool thing is you flip it over. And on this side, it's got all of these pathways going everywhere. It's just pretty amazing. And that's what is driving how this, this TV is, is working. And I know that deep down inside, all of that is there's actually a, a code that has been written. And that code is driving everything. And so for you and I, even without the Bible, this is what it's saying, that even without the Bible, there is instinctively inside every single one of us this basic code of right and wrong. Because we were created that way. The Bible says that we were created in God's image. What does that mean? Does it mean that we look just like God and God's five, six and bald? I don't, I don't know. No, it's not, it's not what it says. Okay, it's not what it's saying. It's saying that we are created to be like him in the way that he is. And one of the ways he is is that he is light. He has this moral standard. And you and I have been created to be like him. But it only took us two chapters in the Bible to screw all this up. By Genesis 3... We had taken that moral code and we had muddied it and we had jacked it up. 
we twisted it and perverted it. Adam and Eve did that, and we do that today because we want to do what we want to do. And even though God has written this code in our hearts, we're like, nah, 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 I've got my own standards for what is right and wrong because we selfishly want to do the things that we want to do. But I'd say this, even if you're following God or if you're not following God, inside of you, there is evidence. It still lingers. Even if it's like a a tiny little flame that's flickering in your life, there is still evidence. Think about this. Let's go back to the court um, case. So if you're in a courtroom and the the detective gets up on the stand and he says, you know what? Um, We weren't there when the crime actually happened, but we we went there afterwards and we did, um, we investigated. And so, you know what we found? We found that, that muddy footprint on, next to the window, right? You always see that in the shows, right? The muddy footprint. And then inside, we found these, these fingerprints on the, on, the, on the doorknob. If you're a jury, if we're all in a jury today, and that evidence was presented to us, the conclusion that we would have is that someone was there, and it's the one who matches that footprint or that fingerprint, Right? We would make that logical conclusion. But here's the deal. You weren't there. I wasn't there. We weren't at that crime scene. But we can look and see what is still lingering there. What is the evidence that has been left behind? And this is what John is saying. This is John's evidence that there is this moral code inside all of us. It is the fingerprint of God in each of our lives. He's saying, you know what? You may not believe in God, but he's there. There is this fingerprint inside every single one of us that proves that God exists. And so then John's going to go on through the rest of chapter 1 and into kind of part of chapter 2. And he's going to kind of tell us the what now. You know, if that's true, we're like, okay, Clayton, that's fine. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, John, he writes to believers and non-believers and says, this is, this is the what now for that. Here's what, here's what he says. He says that... If you're in the light, then live that way, right? If you, if you truly are in, in, this, in this light, live like it. Don't, don't cross over into to the darkness. You have this moral code, this line by which you're supposed to live. And he says this, hey, make sure that the way people see you is because of the side that you stand on that moral code. Let the man that you are, let the woman that you are be defined, not by who you say you are, but how people actually see the evidence in your life. Let me get real just practical here. What I think this is, is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Think about this. If you were living all of the fruits of the Spirit out, would people see you differently? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. If that defined my life, man, people would look at me differently. And God is saying, hey, this is the way that I want you to live. This is moral code, the standard by which I'm asking you to, to live. And if you say that you're living in the light, then live in the light. Don't live in the darkness. He goes on and says also that later on in, in, in chapter 1, he says, but that, that dark part in us is, is there. Like it's it's we can't hide from it. We are we're not God. We are not perfectly light. Every single one of us has darkness in us. Even if we're a believer, 
there's that sliver of darkness, that, that humanity, that sinful nature that's still there. I mean, think about it. Every single one of us, we've let that darkness out even this morning, okay? In some way, every single one of us has let that out in some way. And so the question is, what are we supposed to do with that? And he says this, he literally says this, you're supposed to confess it. You're supposed to confess that and God will fix it. He will cleanse you. So as believers in this room, that should be something that's ongoing as we are being sanctified, being made more and more like God every single day. That we should continually confess those things to him. But if you're not a believer in this room, say, you know, I'm kind of a skeptic. I'm I'm just kind of here, here just kind of checking this out. You're listening online. What God is saying, what John is saying here and the Bible is saying is that, you know what? You need to confess those things to the Lord for the first time. And humbly fall before him and say, you know what? I can't fix it. I need a savior. I'm asking you, God, to, to cleanse me. The Bible says God God will cleanse you. He will fix you. Then John goes on in in chapter 2, and he gives this, this is weird, guys. He gives this crazy example. This almost this defining mark in someone who's living in the light versus someone that's living in the darkness. And I was trying, I was reading this this week, and I was like, why is, why is it this? Why is this, this one specific thing? He could have picked a lot of things. He could have said, you know what, if you cuss a lot, then, you know, then you're just not living in the light, you know. If you're, you know, lying, you're, you're not living in the light. But no, he says something really specific. He says this. He says, if you claim to be in the light, like living out this moral standard, if you're claiming to be doing that, but you hate people, then you're a liar. And I was, I was like, why, why is that in there? See, if you claim to be having this moral standard and say, you know what, I'm, I'm doing what God's called me to do, but deep down inside you hate, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, he's saying, you know what, you've actually stepped across that line. And now you are pretending to live in the light, but you're actually living in the darkness. And I, I think maybe that's just the Holy Spirit talking to us right now. I bet there's some people in this room. I bet there's some people listening right now that if you were just be honest, you'd say, you know what, there's, there's a little bit of hatred going on. Those people that I, I love to avoid. And I can be reading my Bible, and then I think about them, and man, this hatred just builds up. And I don't know what, ha- what has happened. I don't know if forgiveness needs to be had on either side or, or both sides. But the Bible is clear and says, you know what? If you are hating someone, you got to fix that. It says if you let it continue to stir, it will ruin you. And we're supposed to live out that light, not live out the darkness. And there's a reason why. See, the world, the world says, get even, right? You're justified to hate that person. They wronged you. They wronged your kid. Oh, man, if they wronged my kid, they're dead to me, right? Like that's kind of the, the attitude that we have towards people. And the Bible says, no, no, no. You're supposed to be different. 
The world has this standard, but God has a different standard. And when we live by God's standard, here's what it does. It doesn't show that we're great people. It shows that God has changed our lives. And the key to a changed life, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, is this. To follow Jesus. That is the key to a life that has been transformed. Because you know what Jesus says about light? Y'all know. He says, I am the light. You know? You know what the key word in that phrase is? It's not light. It's the word the. You know what he does not say? He does, Jesus does not say, I am a light. He says, I am the only light. What he's saying is, I am the exclusive source of spiritual light. And there's no other source on this planet by which you can live and be saved. John 8, Jesus actually talks about it. Here's what he says. He says, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is saying, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, follow me. And if you follow me, your life will be forever changed. Not because you tried harder. Not because you say, you know, I'm going to be a good person. Because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And if God is light, then that will be evidence for the world to see. In fact, I'd like to end with this. The Bible also says that you and I, if we're believers, that we are the light as well. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this. He says, he's the light of the world. And he turns around and says, you are the light of the world too. If I'm living inside of you, then you are the light of the world. So do this. Let those good deeds, let that moral code live itself out. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Not so that you can be made much of. Not so that people say, man, that is a great person. What does he say? He says, so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. The light is proof. It is God's fingerprint that he exists. But it's also a responsibility that we have. It's a responsibility to live it out. Not so that we can be made much of, but that so God will get the glory. And that people will see, man, I know how that person used to be. I know how you used to be. What's different? Why are you different? Why has your life been changed? And what can you do? Point them to God. And watch their life be changed as well. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your light. Thank you for that standard that you give us. And it's a big responsibility to live up to that. And, and I confess that we mess up every single day. But you are gracious to save. You're patient with us. Lord, I pray there's someone who is far from, far from you that doesn't know you, hasn't confessed their sin. They've been living by their own standard. I pray, Lord, that today you convict them to trust in you, that they would confess their sins. They believe in the good God who came down on this earth and died in their place. 
and then rose to show us victory and power over death. And the word is clear that we would confess our sins. You're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of that darkness. Lord, I pray for us who claim you, who are believers, living in a dark world. And we confess, God, that a lot of times we step over that line and we justify it to no ends. Help us to confess that right now to you. God, help us to see that that standard has a purpose and it's for our good. God, help us to see that that standard has a purpose and it's so that we can show the world that Jesus changes everything. God, help us to shine our light for all to see. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, If you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, We want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, And that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, Here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.